case. Hope not hates are basically controlling Brits. Hope not hate. An alluring name for those more concerned about social justice than truth. These backwards, these backwards thinking, virtue, sick, virtue signaling, fake news crazy. Hey, I'm Jess Morales-Ricardo. I'm a community organizer with the National Domestic Workers Alliance and Care in Action, um, and I'm excited to be here. Jess, thanks so much for joining us and taking time out of what must be a really busy, stressful, exciting election campaign. No kidding. We are like basically 20, I think it's like 29, 28 days, depending on how you're counting. And you know, it's, it's low key, low stakes over here. We're not fighting fascism or authoritarianism or a dictatorship. No, no big deal. So I, I know it's a, not a sensible question, but it's one that um, everyone is interested in. Are we going to win? Okay. I am like a crazy optimist and, and I'm also to say very pragmatic. And I think not only are we going to win, it's going to be a landslide. Like, I think this is going to be like bigger than Obama levels, potentially, of people being like, yes, Joe Biden, yes, Democrats. I, um, I work for Hope Not Hate, obviously, um, but uh, and I'm very proud to do so. But the, my sort of personality is to try and avoid hoping for good outcomes at all times because, um, well, um, it's good to it's good to be pleasantly surprised, but also we had some really horrendous um, hopes dashed uh, moments in the past. Do you feel like twenty sixteen is overhanging so much that people can't see all of the good things that are going on? Yeah, I think a little bit. Yes, I mean, just for me personally, this is a deeply personal moment. Like I worked on Hillary Clinton's campaign in twenty sixteen, basically from the very beginning, and election night was one of the worst nights of my life and I've had some bad stuff happen to me so like I feel like that's a pretty big statement and ever since then I have literally every decision I have made in my life has been about like how can I make sure that there is not a second Trump term like truly that has been the guiding force of my life for the last four years so I really understand when people kind of are like the most important thing is you know like get this guy out of office and like make sure that this doesn't happen. And at the same time, I feel like there's been a lot of really great stuff that has, I don't know if it's directly related to the fact that Trump is in office or, you know, like there's this moment, but like, I think when people are forced to confront maybe their worst fears, there's also people who respond to that by saying like, I want to be part of the solution or like, I don't think it has to be this way. Or even just like, actually that doesn't represent me. I'm going to find stuff that does represent me. And I take a lot of hope in that because part of what I feel like is different about this moment, maybe potentially from other moments is I think that it's, it is anti-Trump related, but it is also bigger than Trump or like, or than, or than one person and the way that their like ideology is expressed. I think we have also seen these kind of amazing, huge moments here in America where people it might have been about Trump's actions, but ultimately what they did didn't have anything to do with Trump. It had a lot to do with themselves and their communities. I, when I was at uh, university, I had a Marxist teacher who would always, always, always go on about clarificatory moments. This is a clarificatory moment. Yes! And, uh, Trump's, tr the Trump administration has been a clarificatory moment about a lot of things that affect people in, in the US. But it's interesting, you, you're hopeful about the election result and you're hopeful about Trump literally like his absence from the White House. But I'd love to talk 
um, about your hope for for some of those things you mentioned there. Like, are, are there candidates who stand out for you? Is there is there new ways of activism that stand out for you? Are there things that are, are, are you know not just a Biden administration, but Democratic senators and and Democratic state houses and so on? Are there things there that give you hope? Maybe maybe if we start with candidates first, because they're the sort of the, the the things that stand out. Yeah. Okay. Candidates. So we're working really hard at carrying action around taking back the Senate and the number one race that I'm excited about is Jamie Harrison in South Carolina. I'm like a Jamie Harrison in South Carolina stan. Karen Action only endorses women of color candidates, so we haven't endorsed him. But I think that there's lots of ways to help support a candidate, and our program is entirely focused on turning out what we call high potential black women to vote in especially statewide elections. So like, these are people who are gonna vote for Jamie Harrison. <laughs> like, just period. <laughs> And one of the reasons I'm really excited about him is I feel like he represents a type of candidacy that we actually don't always see a lot of. He actually came up through the Democratic Party infrastructure. He was a South Carolina Democratic Party chair. And like, listen, I have a lot of problems with the Democratic Party, but being a Democratic Party chair in a place like South Carolina, that is a job with no glory. <laughs> like, it's, move, is it? It's not. It's really, it's really not. That is because you like want to do good things. And that is really probably one of the only vehicles that it even remotely exists. And one of the things that like I have learned, I was not a South Carolina expert before we got in there. So over the last couple of years, I've learned a lot about South Carolina and they say things there and they mean this stuff. Like this is like everyone says this because this is conventional political wisdom they'll say things like oh well those three seats are the black seats all the other seats are white seats so you could never run a white like anything but a white candidate there there's no that, that's not the and they'll literally say this they'll say that's not the seat for black people and it's like what does that sorry <laughs> Can you just say that again? Because I think we're in the year of our Lord 2020, but you just sounded like somebody during reconstruction. So I'm just hoping you can come back to me again. And like, that is literally like how, and this is like everyone in South Carolina talks about it like that, like not just white people, not just Republicans, like that is certain kind of conventional political wisdom. Those seats are the seats for white people where white people vote. And these are the seats for black people where black people vote. Oh, and just in case it wasn't clear, the white people's seats are obviously more and more powerful and the black people's seats are less and less powerful. And that was for me like really eye-opening in part because I think what we are doing in some of these races is actually inviting people into political imagination. We're literally telling them it doesn't have to be this way. And it's, it's not like in 10 years, it doesn't have to be with this way. Right now, it doesn't have to be this way. Right now, you could have somebody run in the white seat and they could be black or they could be anything else that we like might want them to be. And I feel like that's what Jamie's doing in that race is he's inviting people into a political imagination of what could South Carolina look like if it actually represented the people who need the help the most and the people who frankly like are the majoritarian of the state, the majority values, and the majority of people. You said Care in Action is uh, is working in a number of uh, races, particularly Senate races. Which are the ones should Hope Not Hate supporters look out for on election night? Definitely South Carolina. It's really, really a long shot. But if this had been in 2018, the way 
the way we talked about Beto in Texas, I think is the way we should be talking about Jamie Harris in South Carolina. Even if we don't win the seat, the fact that we're closing this gap is a huge, huge effort. And I'm not usually somebody who's like, we had moral victories. Like, I don't believe that you win or you lose. Like, case in point, 2016 election. Um, but I think this is like, actually, we're building something that we could keep building on for the future. The other one I think is really important um, is Maine. Um, Susan Collins. So one of the reasons Susan Collins is so important, our partners um, at the Maine People's Alliance, we work really close with them on this race. Um, and one of the things, reasons this is so important is that I think Susan Collins represents more than her like bad policies. And she's had like a bunch of bad policies. Chief among them for me is um, her decision um, to support Brett Kavanaugh in the Supreme Court um, nomination from Donald Trump. But one thing I think that she sometimes does that I feel like it's just almost as important to kind of usher out is she tries to act like there's a both sides that everyone is good. Everyone's trying to do good things. Everyone's trying to um, help good people. And, and this is just like a ideological difference. This is like tribal or partisan. And I just think that that is, I mean, pardon me, but like complete and total bullshit. Like, I believe that there are good people in the world. I even believe that people are trying to do what they think is the right thing. But I think in 2020, when you have Donald Trump as the front of the party and you have Mitch McConnell as the head of the Republicans doing things like exposing Secret Service agents to COVID so that he can do, at, like at Walter Reed Hospital, so that he can do like a proof of life to his supporters, not passing COVID relief, which is here is called the HEROES Act to like make sure that people don't get evicted from their apartments and have money because they're all laid off because of the pandemic. Oh, and have access to healthcare um, during this time of potentially dying from a life-threatening disease. I just think like it's not about partisanship anymore. It's like literally about whether or not one side is literally trying to keep us alive and the other side has like complete and total disregard for like the not just like human life the lives that they're like ostensibly trying to represent and that and that also presumably will elect them in november so like even if it's like so craven it's just like i want to get reelected like don't you think people need help and i think the answer is they don't think that they don't think we deserve that help they don't think we need that help so I think Susan Collins represents that like so, so, so clearly. She wants to act like one side is as good as the other side and frankly, one side is as bad as the other side. And that's just not true. It just isn't. Yeah. Um, so the, the uh, Sarah Gideon's campaign in, in Maine, uh, Jamie Harrison, um, uh, candidates in, in Georgia, uh, uh, in, um, you know, all across the country are, are running campaigns that are really one of the things that um, you know, we worked together in 2012, and one of the things that Barack Obama used to say is he wanted to leave uh, politics better off at the end of the campaign than it was at the beginning, win, win, or, win or lose. And that feels like Jamie Harrison is doing that in South Carolina. Yes, what a great way of saying it, yes. And the, the thing for me is that the way you do that is not necessarily just through your own leadership, although um, Jamie Harrison seems to be like doing that, is through the people you you inspire and train and give confidence to is i mean you know this way better than i do which is why we wanted to interview you so i'll shut up and talk i'll shut up talking now because i want you to tell us 
like what is that look what does that look like on the ground is it is it thousands of people coming through are new people fired up you know every election we kind of get these articles about you know you know vanity metrics and all this other kind of stuff is it different this time are there new people coming through are there new leaders in 2022 and beyond who are learning or getting involved for the first time now yeah I think yes is the short answer. The long answer is like, I feel like actually some of what we're seeing is also new ways that people are getting involved. So one thing that is like just the backdrop of which, I mean, I feel like most things are happening in addition to COVID here is really about Black Lives Matter and the uprisings around Black Lives Matter. And I think if you are only getting like a diet from the media, it might seem like it's all about um, the more controversial aspects, uh, looting and property damage and stuff like that, which honestly is often seeded by the right wing here, like is actually the result of the right wing um, infiltrating protests and then putting it off as, as black, legitimate Black Lives Matter protests. But I think the, the piece that is, gets lost a lot is it's also creating a new generation of people who are engaging in this type of activism. activism, And one of the things that they're doing that I think is just so interesting, I, I really, honestly, I don't think I've ever seen it before, is there's a real hunger to educate themselves about issues. So just the idea that people are like, I actually don't know enough about this and I need to go figure it out. That almost never happens. Most of the time, people are like, I know everything and everyone should listen to me, even though I just got here five seconds ago. So that feels like, wow, what an invitation that has been given to us by the Black Lives Matter movement, that what comes back from that is people being like, I have a lot to learn and I wanna listen and learn. That feels like a huge breakthrough. The second thing that feels like a really big important breakthrough is that then what you're seeing is people really wanna share that knowledge on their social media accounts, via you know Instagram Live, or what people are calling like PowerPoint activism. So like, there'll be like 10 things that they've like learned about like how to be anti-racist. And that kind of stuff, I think, gets like a little bit slandered and sometimes rightly so. But I also feel like, you know, what's the way that you get educated about things you don't know about? You talk with people about it. You like read stuff. You, you sort of say like, actually, I think you're wrong about that. I think it actually goes this way. And that is like a bit, to me, that's like so, so powerful. So when you couple that with the fact that we're in election season, then I'm like, oh, now we're really cooking with gas because now you have people who are educating themselves who understand that the act of education is a really important part of your, you know, politicization. What is your, what is your Marxist professor call it? Clarification? Clarification moments. Yeah, it's like that is like a, a, a site of your like clarification. And that's like, whoo, that's amazing because that is not about how much you hate one person or how much you dislike one person's policies. It's about you and what you're learning. And that, that to me is like so important. Then you couple that with candidates who are speaking to issues in ways that we haven't really seen before. And that feels like something that's really exciting because in this moment where you're getting politicized, then you have people who are engaged in the work of like kind of big P politics, right? The work of like governing and electing our leaders who are then answering what you're what you're asking what you're like looking for and that's how you keep people engaged for the long term and i think that we have candidates who who have done really interesting you know it is a little bit of a dance to sort of say i'm going to work within the system while also trying to change the system like that's actually a very difficult 
<laughs> message to be putting forward. So I think like probably the best examples of this, of course, are, are Corey Bush from Ferguson, Missouri, and then Jamal Bowen from New York City. They're two black kind of anti-establishment insurgent candidates who ran for um, House seats and won very competitive primaries where, frankly, they had like no business winning. And I, one of the, I think Cori Bush in particular, I'm really, I'm just really interested to see like what happens with her because she came out of protests and then is, has run once and lost and then ran again for an even higher seat. And part of what she now is like sort of explicitly saying is I'm bringing that insurgency to Congress. And from a place like Ferguson, Missouri, where you know, really is ground zero of kind of like racism and race relations in this country. And then to have that person come and represent us in Congress, it just feels like that's how you build a movement that is really sophisticated, that is trying to make an actual difference in people's lives and is trying to do something beyond the moment, but actually build power over the long term. And I wish that people on the left, like globally, were just more interested empower and power building like i just i'm trying to build power <laughs> not for no reason like it's for it's for actually quite clear reasons but we have to get okay with with that power analysis and in that leveraging and wielding of power once we build it and it, it can be messy but oh my gosh it's so messy <laughs> <laughs> we have to agree with that, you know. Um, yes. I just want to um, uh, ask one more uh, question, which is a bit, it's a big topic, but um, hopefully we can get through it in the time we've got. I think a lot of people are focused on in this election on the, um, the the kind of the spoils of victory being the absence of Donald Trump, and I don't want to downplay that. Not having uh, Donald Trump in the White House would be a big victory. It would mean a lot of bad things not happening. I also think it's important to think about the things that we can proactively do. If Cory Bush is in uh, the House, if Jamie Harrison's in the Senate, if Joe Biden is in the, uh, the White House and hopefully uh, Elizabeth Warren's in the, the Treasury Department, like, can you talk about just maybe one or two things that you think you know, people can hold on to as not just the absence of bad, but the hope of good to come? Yep, so one thing is, you know, when if you go all the way back to kind of like november december 2016 we had just lost the presidential election you know we took back the house which felt really good but the senate you know was still republican controlled and there was so much uncertainty coming off of the kind of rosy obama years right i think it was like a huge shock for people and at that time you saw all this what people deemed at the time spontaneous protests in particular the women's march and when that happened, it was the biggest protest, I think, in history at that point. And the, what came up over and over again that night was, is this, a, is this a movement or a moment? And there was a lot of, uh, you know, I think pushback when Women's March leaders were talking about, like, actually, no, we're building a movement. And now, four years later, not only have we built a, 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 you know, a resurgence of the women's movement, we've also seen a resurgence of the immigrants' rights movement. We've seen a resurgence of the Black civil rights movement. Um, we've seen a resurgence around healthcare and the access to quality healthcare. Like, and if you kind of keep like on honestly on almost any issue, uh, a resurgence of the trans movement, or maybe even just like you know an acknowledgement of what has been happening in the trans movement all this time that has been invisible. Like, wherever you are, I think what we have seen is really 
not only a resurgence of these movements, but a complete reimagining of what our movements should look like, how they should do the work, what kind of power they can have. And, and a, frankly, a popularization of, of that work. You know, now everyone, it's like a joke that everyone in Hollywood is like trying to be an activist. But one of the reasons they're trying to be an activist is because activism is seen as like cool and important and necessary. And let me just tell you, it's, it has not always been like that. <laughs> it's not always been that way. You know, you have a, a, a protest, a thing that has often kind of been like marginalized or scoffed at or even like satired now being at like the core of, of how people are, 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 you know, writing a, a TV character to signal that they're like kind of hip and of the moment and stuff like that cultural shift is like that that's you can't it doesn't matter who's in office you can't take that away and you can't like change that like we have literally over the last four years completely changed the culture and not only have we changed the culture it's been around disruption like that's part of what the culture has like been changed to which is that disruption is necessary disruption is worthwhile disruption is serious and not to be like dismissed and that is a hugely important thing especially here where you know i think protest is kind of seen as like counterculture or you know like um not only just counterculture but also sort of like idealistic not for people who are not like trying to actually do real things make real change that's that to me is is so 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 critical because you also have in that a surge of young people not just like young people are the ones who do activism but also literally there are more young people right now than there have ever been and many of them are coming of age um a voting age in particular in this time and they're going to vote in their first election in 2020 and the backdrop of their first election is going to be like this like renaissance of organizing and protest and activism and that's awesome. That's, you, you can't, that sets your political habits and your views for almost the rest of your life. And it's, it's really, really hard to change that. And I don't say that to mean like, and then, you know, in, for the future, the children will be safe. It's not, I don't mean it like that. I mean that you have now a generation of people who just have a completely different political outlook and mindset, and you can't change that. It's very, very, very difficult to change that. So now you have this, this injection of people who are just like, there's no limits. I can be whatever I want. And, and I have a responsibility and an obligation to, to use my voice. And that's like actually cool and amazing. And those people engaging in this work right now changes the political discourse, changes the political possibilities. And I think you see that, of course, with Bernie Sanders, but I actually feel like he gets a, like too much credit for this, like, because he's definitely part of it, 100%. He's trained a generation of organizers, and I think that's really important. Like, training is really, really critical for people staying and, like, actually being impactful. Um, but you also have these this, this protest movements, these social movements that have done that as well. And once you start combining the politics and the social movements, like that's an unstoppable force. People sometimes ask me if, you know, following American politics as I do, whether I think that Biden can win. In, and they ask it in the sense of, will everything be okay again soon? 
and I always say, well, I think he can win, and I think I think he's going to, but that's only the that's only the beginning of the journey, and I usually mean that in quite a negative way, in that like there's so much bad stuff that there is to unravel, but just listening to you there, that you know, if Biden wins, that's the beginning of a good journey as well. You know, there is stuff to unravel, but that also unleashes that enthusiasm and that expertise and those experiences for something that could be really, um, you know. Um, beneficial to the country and, and to progress in, in the country. I think about this a lot with immigration in particular. You know, one of the things that I'm really proud of is um, I was one of the main organizers of the Families Belong Together marches in, in summer of 2018 when there were thousands of families being separated at the border and, and all of those families being criminalized. And, um, you know, that was a huge, there was over 766 rallies all around the country. and that rivaled like the March for Our Lives. I think they had like 800 rallies all over the country. Now, the reason that I say that is gun violence prevention rallies organized by mostly young people and mostly white people have a lot of support here in the United States of America. (laughs) Rallies for immigrant children and their parents at the border um, and conditions and, you know, what the conditions in detention are like do not have a lot of support across our country. Like immigration is an extremely contentious issue. And that was at that moment, kind of halfway through the first Trump presidency, for me was when I unlocked like, oh, whoa, this is like just, it's just in a completely different situation. But also that like, actually what was happening is people were experiencing this moment differently as well. Like as an organizer, I'm constantly trying to make sure that I'm understanding like, how are people who do not do this for a living and all of their friends and everything they care about and all the books they read are about this, right? Which is me. I'm like obsessed with this stuff. How are like regular people who don't really care that much about politics experiencing this? And the day after the rallies, um, you know, you get like the media clips back and that's a really good moment. There's like a lot of bad moments in organizing, but that is a really good moment. And one of the things is basically every paper in America had those rallies on their front page. And this is in places like Wyoming and North Dakota and Mississippi. I mean, the most conservative places that you can imagine, maybe where there aren't even a lot of immigrants. And to me, what happened there that is so transformative is that people were not marching for themselves. They were marching for other people. They were marching for people who are not like them, experiences that they may never ever have and many people that they know will never have and they still felt like they needed to do that and they needed to have that moment and and that moment was so big it was basically on you know the minds of every single person in America and that to me just feels like there's so much potential there there's so much and it, that didn't have anything to do with a candidate or an election or anything like that it has everything to do with like how, what kind of country we want to be, how we want to treat people, what sort of values we have, how people want to express those values. And regardless of who's president, that's something that you want to like keep and continue. And frankly, like, and this is where I feel like people, you know, sometimes act like uh, voting for somebody means that you like want to invite them over for dinner and like have them marry your, you know, your firstborn. And it's like, no, voting for somebody <laughs> means that I, I'm like, this is the kind of future that I want for the world. And that is a, a two way street. 
It's about what the candidate is telling you and offering. And then it's also about what you're holding the candidate accountable to and, and making sure the candidate understands is part of why you elected them was to make sure that children are not in detention and that their families are not in detention either, right? Like it wasn't just about that moment in the summer of 2018. It's also, it's like actually about, I want you to have a humane immigration policy and the bare minimum is not separating kids at the border, right? That's not like a higher thing you should aspire to. There's a whole bunch of other higher level things you should aspire to. And that's like where I feel like I really am optimistic about where that goes. Do I think that like maybe, you know, some of this stuff will trickle off? Yeah, totally. That's how people's real lives work. Like that's just like what you expect in social movements. But I, I do think that we have kind of turned a corner into a moment of transformation that is not, it's not about time. It's about how people feel. Yes. Thanks so much for your time. You've given me hope for the election, which is what I was hoping you would do, but more importantly, you've given me hope for the country and, and for the movement that's, that's been started. So thank you for the time and good luck in 28 days time. In that case, homeless haters are basically controlling Britain. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you don't already subscribe, please do so to get every episode directly to your device. If you enjoy the Hope Not Hate podcast, please rate it and leave a review. That helps other people to find us. Thank you especially to our members. Your support helps us to do the work we do. If you aren't a member already and would like to join, please go to hopenahate.org.uk and press the big red button in the top right hand corner. Thank you for listening.